Hey there, friends. Welcome to episode 154 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Fabiola Chipoko. She is an entrepreneur and chef at Tita's Kitchen, a Peruvian food truck at the Portland Mercado. Uh, Fabiola and her sister Fabiana are the heart and soul behind Tita's Kitchen. The Chipoco sisters were born in Peru, and they showcased their culture and love of communing with others through their Peruvian fare. I've eaten at Tita's Kitchen several times, and the environment and atmosphere there is incredible. In this episode, Fabiola talks about her experience in her professional life and personal life. I see her as a person who had went to the edges of what was known to understand her experience. She shot out of a cannon in school, um, getting into advertising, developing a hobby in dance, smashing all of that to travel and coming back to pursue dancing professionally, smashing that to travel. And now she's opened a restaurant. It's been a pleasure to have a conversation with her to hear all of the lessons that she's learned and knowledge she's gained from having these experiences. She's developed a relationship with dance and painting and travel that complements her ambition as an entrepreneur in general and specifically with Tita's Kitchen. I think about this a lot because there's some of a there's some parts of myself that are fighting for attention. And how do you balance that? What do you want to take on as a profession and what do you want to leave as a hobby? This conversation with Fabiola is an exploration of that. And she it was wonderful to talk to. If you want to learn more about Tita's Kitchen, you can go to titaskitchenpdx.com. You can also find the link to that in the Portland Mercado um, in the show notes or you can head over to becominghumanpodcast.com. And there you can find photos of her paintings and a little bit of a backstory behind them. Without any further ado, here is Fabiola. All right. Well, Fabiola, I got to say I love your food. Tita's Kitchen is probably one of my favorite eats in Portland. Thank you. It's the first time that I've eaten any kind of Peruvian um, food before. That is actually one of the reasons why I opened the food truck, because it was uh, when I was traveling around the world that I... um, the best way for me to connect with people was through the food because they had so many stories to share and like the the ways they could explain how they make the food or where it comes from because they, you know, grow it this way or that way. So 
I wanted to do the same thing here in in Portland. You know, mm -hmm. there is a couple of places, but um, I wanted to to be the one like really truly brings Peruvian food and expand it and like so that people can understand and learn more about our culture and how food is so important for us. You mm -hmm. know, is what brings family together too. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and it's cool because I, I love it. It's like an art form that you get to experience, right? Yeah. And, and it's almost, and food is everything that's a part of all of our lives, right? So it's like a, it's a, it's a niche in its culture, but it's very general. So everything, everybody could relate because everybody gets hungry. Exactly. <laughs> everybody gets hungry. Everybody can get together. I mean, the, the food truck is very like, I want it to be family orientated. Mm -hmm. So in the future, I want to have like Sundays of Pollo a la Brasa, which is like when I was back in Peru, every Sunday, you got to get together with your whole family. It's just a thing. Whoa. We just do it. Oh, it's, that's cool. It's part of like life. So we would all drive to grandma's house and then the whole family meets there. And then we go to a polleria, which is like a, a place where they say where they sell I think in English is roistery chicken or something like that, oh. where you like put the chicken. Oh, rotisserie chicken. Yeah. There. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> right. So that is super common in Peru. There's a pollería in every corner, really. Wow. So it was, um, it was a really nice thing. We would all wait for Sunday to get together and go, you oh, know, eat pollo. Cool. So in the future, I would like to have that focus in the food truck, you know, like getting all the families on Sundays together, because I don't think it's just a Peruvian thing. It's like mm -hmm. in, in general, a South American thing. Yeah. And I, I find that interesting because the more I find the more rituals that I have about gathering, um, the more I notice how um, how much I have a sense of belonging in my community. Mm -hmm. That's where I found like uh Religion was interesting. I'm not. I'm not a religious person, mm -hmm. but through jujitsu, I've understood what like going to church on Sundays meant. Mm -hmm. I did that when I was a kid, but I didn't get it until when I was going to jujitsu consistently. And that welcoming feeling of just seeing those people that are familiar, and you're all gathering around like right. one central topic. It makes you feel so good. And with food, especially like you know really healthy and good food, and that exposes you to a whole different experience. Right. You know, it's a way to connect with people. 100%. Like just getting to know every owner uh, in that food truck pot. Everybody's so passionate about their country and their food. And we like exchange food all the time. Super fun, you know. Whoa. And yeah, it's a really nice community over there in Portland Mercado. I don't, haven't seen that anywhere else, really. That's really cool because basically in, in that in that area, you have several different food trucks from offering different kind of cultural fare. Yes. So you have Argentinian, you have Venezuelan, Colombian, Mayan, which is from Mexico. Um, you have Costa Rica. So, yeah, there's Cuba as well. What's that like for you um, with your uh, being a chef, right? Um, and seeing the convergence and getting to learn about all those different kinds of um, mm -hmm. cultural foods. Well, I don't want to call myself a chef yet uh -huh. because I have so much respect for them. And I, I not because I not only go, didn't go to school for that, but because I feel like I'm a white belt in, mm, yeah. in the kitchen still, you know, because even though I've worked before in restaurants, it, this is the first time I ran a food truck. And yesterday, mm -hmm. as you know, it was our six month anniversary. Yeah. So I'm really white belt on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I definitely have the passion and mm -hmm. I keep learning every day, you know, oh, that's great. Yeah, You realize that even with, with cooking, there's just such a um, <laughs> such a big expanse of knowledge to be learned. Right. Yes. It's just infinite. Right. Yes. But for example, the people that own the car market, which is like grocery, the grocery uh, place that is right there, mm -hmm. um, they they are chefs and they actually oh. were 
yesterday, I believe, or two days ago in a Bravo Chef uh, TV wow, show. Wow, really? Yes. So That's I great. am, like, the way I feel, I feel super honored mm-hmm. to be there for them to accept me in that community and choosing me as a Peruvian ambassador for Por la Mercado is, is amazing. Well, and, you, you know, rising tide raises all ships. And I find something, if I'm going to be, have an ambitious mindset, right, in, um, in a skill or an interest um or project finding putting yourself in a community where people are shakers and movers or like um pushing it really far on a cutting edge really helps you access that level and it raises you up and cuts that learning curve a little bit yes for sure in fact i was uh actually listening to a podcast the other day um the mentor mindset i believe oh yeah that's a good one yes so there was this part where he said like um, if you hang out with five chefs, then you might become the sixth one. If you hang out with five fitness people, you'll become the sixth one. Yeah. If you find, uh, hang out with like five lazy people, you'll become the sixth one. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like um, understanding your surroundings and choosing who you want to spend quality time with is so important for me. So the fact that I'm there and I'm able to learn from all these people that have more experience than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's people there that has been there since Porla Mercado opened up. Wow. Uh, it's it's great. I feel like I I feel like I belong there, mm-hmm. and and I'm there to learn and to give them whatever they can learn from me. You know, so it's it's really nice. And yes. it's nice to see that like you're in a place where you get to see you're working alongside fellow community members. Because just reflecting on when I was in the, when I was cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I was cooking in a restaurant and I've never cooked in like a, a food truck environment or an environment where you have like, you know, so many different um, eateries so close together mm. and opportunity for like, because when I'm cooking shoulder to shoulder or people like a stone's throw when I walk out of, you know, the establishment for a break or whatever, those people are my coworkers. But mm-hmm. to see people who are doing something completely different than you and almost like to compete and not to compete and relish in the community. Like, I think that's such a unique environment. And it reminds me more of jujitsu in that way, because your teammates can be your competitors and also the people that teach you and bring 100%. you up. 100%. We all help each other, but at the same time, we can't be blind. We're all there. Mm-hmm. We're, there's people, we're all competing at the same time. And even though we don't want to make it a competitive environment, which is why we try to have unique menus, mm-hmm. so we're not competing with each other. But for example, plantains, which is something super common, in every country so there's like three or four places where we sell plantains yeah you know but the main dishes we try to to not compete and make it very unique from our country so Mm -hmm. there's but yeah it's super fun because i get to we also share a kitchen which is inside oh really yeah even though i try my best to make everything in the food truck we also have a commercial Mm -hmm. kitchen so it's fascinating seeing how everybody cooks and their techniques and i'm every time i'm amazed Wow, that's so cool. Just yeah. so much for you to learn in that way. I Yes, it is beautiful. It's a really nice community. I'm grateful for being there. Actually, when the opportunity showed up, it mm-hmm. was winter. It was a pandemic going on. We didn't know what was happening. I, I was, if I wanted to open it, I had to put all my savings in it. Oh, yeah. And for a lot of people, that might not make sense, but it made sense to me. So at the time, when, you, when you're confronted with that opportunity and you have to put all your savings into that, how, what was going on inside of your head? How did you feel about that? And what did you do to move forward? Well, I feel like for like my entire life, since I'm an adult or a teenager, I kind of like feed off of um, risks. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> like the risk give me this adrenaline and like and I'm like, you know what? It if it wild. feels right to me, I'm gonna do it, even yeah. though for the rest might not make sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and I remember having some friends being like, but you you never work inside a food truck or like you yeah, you have ah. experience in restaurants, but like not that much. Mm -hmm. And you know, and wow. I'm like, I know, but I think like I, I got this. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I got this. You just jump in the deep end. I did, and, and I put all the savings in it. And I, I, it's like I was telling you, it's it's that that uh, risk. Mm -hmm. It's the same when I do investments. Yeah. I I prefer bigger risks, bigger rewards. I kind of believe in that because it has worked in my life at least. Mm, that makes you sense. You know, <laughs> uh -huh. with investments, with my with uh, jobs, I've had applied. I was at, like I was telling you before we were recording. Mm -hmm. I work for corporations too, so I had like a couple jobs that I 100% fake it when they're like, "Oh, mm -hmm. do you know how to do this and that and that?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah I do." Yeah. Oh, okay, sweet. cool. You start Monday. I'm Great. not the only one. <laughs> yeah. I was always like, yeah, I can watch some videos and figure this out. Yeah, exactly. sure. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. Oh, it makes you feel alive in some fashion, you know? It does. But when you when you say you um, engage with the risk, right, is it more that you're like you throw caution to the wind or is it more that you're um, stepping up to the challenge and you're, you're loading yourself to make the appropriate choices so you can maneuver around the risk? Right. It might be the second one because mm -hmm. there's been a lot of opportunities and there's definitely some that I've said no. Mm -hmm. So it's a risk that I know that I that I that I know that I can handle that my gut's telling me that it's OK to go with it and and that I have some knowledge and that I know that I have some maybe people that can is going to be there to support mm -hmm. me as well. So those are those are the risks I take. That makes sense. Yes. It reminds me a lot of when I go um, climbing um, that when I go climbing, I go into an environment, there is like a lot of fear and anxiety, um, especially at height, right? And exposure to where like maybe all you can see is air all the way around you and just a little bit of rock. Um, and you're like a hundred feet off the ground. You got to tell me where you go high. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I want to be there. Yes. Um, there's uh, in those moments, like the reality is, is 99% of the, the risk is managed. So there's a very little likelihood anything could go wrong. Um, less than things you engage with on a day-to-day -day level, but the perceived risk is a lot higher. And you realize that like, Real risk um, in reality is one thing, and perceived risk is another thing. I have three dogs, <laughs> and and they are they. They're teaching. I know, yeah, right. <laughs> they're teaching Alfie how to sing. They are doing their job. They think they're protecting <laughs> me from you. Hey. <laughs> There's a difference between like perceived risk and experience and real risk and reality. Like when you drive a car or when you fly an airplane, right? Um, those things seem like you perceive them as really safe, mm. but the risks are actually really high. Mm -hmm. And of course, to live a life, a quality life, you it's okay. You're okay with engaging in that risk to go and do whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, yeah. and with driving though, like you, here's one example is you go over a bridge and where I live, uh, the bridge collapsed five oh, years wow. ago. And uh, I think people fell into the river. It's anyone, someone died. No, I'm not, no. Nobody died. But um, I talked to a, a guy who's familiar with Washington's infrastructure. And he said, there's actually a lot of bridges that are like that. 
Over and, here too, yeah. Yeah, and what you <laughs> what you find out is is like, okay, I'm on a rock wall. I'm really, really scared. This is the scaredest that I felt in my whole life. But I'm tied in, and if and I have several points of protection. So if one piece of protection fails, another one will catch me. The yeah. worst that I do is I mean, fall five you're feet. still having the making the choice to go over the bridge yeah knowing that you might die exactly much and then there's but there's some things in life that we'll do and we feel the the perceived risk is so high that we don't do it mm. but my argument is is the real the risk in reality is actually a lot lower mm -hmm. and it's that we're not cognitively like choosing these things based off of the real risk but more off of perceived risk okay i, I know what you're saying and so uh -huh. a lot of our avoidance behavior comes from things that are more imagined than real mm -hmm. but when you go and confront what you talk about risk dumping your savings into an opportunity like this there's a way to mitigate that risk which you don't ever do when you drive and um, to make it a little less risky but even then what would happen if you lost all of your money like you could argue that oh, i'd lose my house and i'd have nowhere to live and nowhere to eat and it's like is that really the case, though? Because you see examples of like, you know, homelessness, right? Mm -hmm. Or even examples of your community. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't really happen. Mm -hmm. Like, and to some degree, you know, you're not yes. going to find it in a place in your life where it's so like um, irreversible that you're screwed. And you can always save up more money later You can on. always make more money, too. There's yeah. probably going to be people that will support you. They will make fundraises, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yes. Everyone in this world engages with more risk than that business decision that you made. But fewer people in this world are willing to engage with that kind of risk out of fear mm -hmm. of what could happen mm -hmm. in the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that surprises me. And I needed to do like a rock climbing or going on stage or um, talking to people um, or starting your own business is when you poke and prod those little boundaries inside of you to test to see if it's congruent with reality. Yes. And to be honest, I think that life is also about having fun. Yeah. And it's super fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's right? super fun. <laughs> like that's that's when you get like any harrowing adventure, you know, anything yes. like that. It's just yes. it's a blast. Yes. Go climb, open a business, put all your savings in it. Actually, it reminded me like uh, what you were talking about, like driving and you know that the bridges can collapse and all that. Mm -hmm. I was in Bali. And there's this island called Nusa Lembongan, which is about two hours in a boat. And that's the only Ooh. way you can get there. Whoa. So I was like, I'll go there because why not? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm there and I fell in love of the island. So I ended up staying there for Christmas and spent New Year's over there. Yeah. It was beautiful. And I remember um, I was staying in this hostel that was in front of the beach. So mm -hmm. I could obviously hear the ocean oh, every night. It was yeah. beautiful. But there was a tsunami not too far away from there. Oh, my God. <laughs> sure. You know, when, while I was there and uh, yeah, it was everybody was talking about it. And then. I mean, that was my hostel. I already paid for it. So yeah. I was still staying there. So every night that I would go to sleep, I'm like, I could die today. Wow. Yeah. I can hear the ocean and I couldn't, I couldn't, I was imagining how like the ocean would um, hit the, the glass and it would come all the wow. way to me. And every single night I was going to sleep thinking I could die that night. Oh my God. To be honest, it was great yeah. because before that I was so afraid of death. Mm -hmm. So afraid. Ooh. Until that trip to Asia, which I believe is my first, it was my first like trip by myself, uh -huh. you know? So, well, that's even a big one to compound with all that to go by yourself and then to have an experience with the yes. confront your fear of death. Yes, wow. <laughs> I definitely have friends there, so I was able to like meet some people and you know hang out with some friends, but 
yeah, I would go to sleep sometimes by myself alone and I could hear the ocean. I'm like, all right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Let's make sure to tell my mom and my whole family yeah. I love them every night, just in case. <laughs> but, and isn't it weird that when you're in that scenario, things seem to be more, I wouldn't say um, valuable, but more intense and more potent, right? Like your, your gratitude for the people around you, nothing externally has changed, but internally everything has changed because yes. I have these periods where like it's happening more and more lately and it's kind of odd, but um, at least once a month, I like will cross my mind that, Oh, my son could die or I could die. And so, and I'll go on a very, um, I really like visualization and I'm learning more about it through this, which is um, the Stoics like uh, call memento mori. And okay. it's where you, um, they would put like skulls on their desk, like human skulls. And what that was is so that they can remember that life is, is short because we get into this thing of complacency. And one of the easiest little ticks and ticks to like uh, to jumpstart that and to turn that complacency off is to be able to f to imagine death, um, whether it's your own death or a loved one's mm -hmm. and, and to visualize and to visualize it as as much as you can. And you realize with uh, in performance, the more you visualize things, the more vivid that they become over time and you get better and better at visualizing and you're visualizing these things to elicit an emotional response mm -hmm. and that emotional response will come whether or not you visualize it or actually happen. So when I realized as I was accidentally visualizing my son dying because I had like a, I had a weird dream and I was able to like witness him dying like through the whole thing wow. and then him passing and then me being without him and being able to feel at least not like all oh, this in very specific detail, but like feel the the highs and the dramatic highs and lows, the point of like realizing he's dead and then the thinking and and then like, oh, my gosh, and going through all of that and then losing him and then thinking of my life and how I relate to that. Mm -hmm. And then when I wake up, right, I was like, I'd look at him and I have this um, those frustrations and annoyances that like creep into things where it's like, oh, I can't like you can make breakfast, you know, I don't have to make breakfast every single morning or like all these kinds of things. I'm like, um, not patronizing him or putting him on a pedestal, but I'm like, oh, good morning. And I'm like, silly time. And it's just like, you know, I'm living the life if I were to replay it that I would really want in that moment. Mm. But if I let things just kind of go and settle and just day to day, that kind of life isn't very like exciting or I'm not putting fun and enthusiasm to it. Mm. But when I'm living in this way, I'm like injecting enthusiasm mm -hmm. into my life and I'm not faking it because it's been, it's a spontaneous, uh, it spontaneously arrives from those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so after the dreaming, I realized that it was actually helpful when I'd be like particularly annoyed from like a week of uh, challenging, like, you know, push and pulls for my son, just little things that kind of go through. And those interfere with my relationship with them. Maybe you experience it with your dogs. They do some do. things that are annoying. <laughs> the and then time. your weekend comes and it's like, I got to play with my dogs. But you're like corrupted a little bit because you're. <clears throat> yes. And, when... and then they escape and I'm like, oh, my God, I found you. And that's it right there. <laughs> and I'm going to give you so much love. <laughs> yeah. And they don't have to physically escape. So how could you do that without it actually happening? How about we wake up every morning and we're like. I could die today and all of the people that I love could die today. Yeah. And you start your day like that. Actually, it's my partner that he practices that every day. Yeah, Stefan, he's really interesting. We talked about that with the getting buried and stuff that he has. Um, he does a lot of those things in his practices, right? Yes, yes. And to me, 
when when he would say all of this, I was like, that's very intense. Like, are you like is this some sort of like depression or? But no, actually, it's quite the opposite. If you mm -hmm. think about it, if you're like, okay, yeah, I could die, then you obviously you're gonna live your day to the fullest. Yeah, right? enjoy yourself, enjoy everybody that is with you. So I think it does make sense, and it shouldn't be looked at something that you're depressed, but quite the opposite, actually. Mm -hmm. You are aware. Yeah, acutely aware, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which helped me so much this this trip to to Bali and in Indonesia while I was like, okay, I could die. It was really the first time. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's also, it was a big trip for me too, because um, it was not only the first time that I was traveling by myself, mm -hmm. but it was also a choice because before that, I've never wanted to travel by myself because I always had too much fear and uh -huh. anxiety. And I'm like, what if something bad happens to me and nobody's there to help me? Did, how did you, so how did your community around your like family, um, did they have any kind of like influence or input on their thoughts of traveling alone? Cause sometimes I have friends and like they, the thought of traveling alone, maybe their family is um, encouraging or oftentimes like very nervous and worried. Mm -hmm. And it's once again, to those imagined fears. There was a, it was more of the second, uh, <laughs> because uh, I don't think I am a very, I'm very different from my family mm. and I'm very close to my mom's family. Mm. My dad, um, my mom is, I believe, a hero, truly, oh. because she was uh, pregnant of my sister when my dad passed away and they had a company together. The company went on fire. My dad died trying to like put the fire away. What? And I know it is. I'm like, mom, one day you got to write a book, truly. Wow. And anyways, she uh, she truly it means a lot to me, obviously. And the fact that uh, the whole family, they've always think of um, the best way for them to succeed was working for somebody having a good career, right? Mm -hmm. So she's a lawyer, my aunt's a doctor, my uncle's an engineer. So everybody in my family, um, my grandmother was poor. They mm -hmm. came to Lima, to the capital, yeah. where you want to make it wow. and from, you know, a province, um, from a from a small town. Like a rural town, yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't even know where I was going with this, but I'll keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so they came to Lima uh, from a rural place and then she was working as uh, somebody like for sewing, you know, she was uh -huh. so... Um, is that a way? To, is that a way that you can get by pretty well in that area is doing like sewing or is that really hard work? Uh, I think at that time it was something that you could get okay. by. Yes, back in, I don't know, she's 90. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, your question, if they mm -hmm. were hard about it. Yes, they didn't understand too much when I told them, I'm going to go travel for a year mm -hmm. or until whenever. They didn't understand that because they're like, you only have a month vacation out of the entire year in mm -hmm. Peru. So what are you talking about? Why aren't you working for somebody, for a oh. company? You know, but I could sense it. They told me about it but at the same time they wanted to be supportive so they were like okay sure i guess that's what you want to do go have fun you know oh that's great but that's i could balance. tell that they were confused mm -hmm. and they told me that too and my mom she was happy and i'm like hey mom aren't you like happy the fact that i have uh, enough money to at least go travel for a whole year mm -hmm. and she's like i am but it's very dangerous there's a lot of monkeys that will steal your stuff you know <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't wrong now let me tell really? you that wait what <laughs> 
There are monkeys everywhere that want to steal your stuff. That's oh. 100% true. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. Have you ever had to deal with a particular conniving monkey? Yeah, they try to open your backpack. Whoa. Seriously. Also, I was in a monkey park. So you were in a monkey park? And then I, I once went to this island, which is kind of what you were telling me about this cave, you know, like mm -hmm. there's this particular place where you just go when somebody tells you about it yeah. and it's, there's nothing. You got to bring your own food and your own water mm -hmm. and you have little tents and it's like a hundred and something degrees and so humid wow bunch of monkeys so you gotta be careful <laughs> with your little tent because they'll come wow. in that's crazy uh, we yeah. don't have anything that can unzip your like the worst thing here is crows <laughs> actually can unzip tents and they can open up bags and they'll steal your food but not gray jays will too yeah. um, what about raccoons aren't they like uh, they, yeah but here you uh not as much as the birds because the birds will um the the raccoons and stuff come out at night these birds uh, i even seen them at see them at beaches like down in seattle at alki beach there's crows that open lunch boxes and just steal food i once fought a crow <laughs> because i saw him i'm like no no they're eating out of that person's lunch box and i'm like shoo, shoo. and then i go over there and i like put it back in yeah. their lunch box these people are like looking at me weird and i'm like ah, crow and then i come back over and the crow dive bombs and i go over there and my son's like what are you doing dad i'm like throwing rocks at the crow i'm like get out of the food i'm man. being part of nature all right son <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. That's so my dream was is that like I would love it because you know, maybe if I lived with monkeys, it'd be like that feisty neighbor you have next door that steals stuff out of your backyard. And then I could just fight with the monkey all the time. Oh, just go to uh, Southeast Asia. You'll be fighting. Really? Oh my god. All the monkeys you want. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. It's super fun though. Uh -huh. But yeah, I mean, my family was very supportive as I was telling you, mm -hmm. like just because I don't want to cut off my, my mom's story since yeah. I was talking about it. Um, I think that I got the entrepreneur side of myself mostly from my dad oh. because um he opened this business. He also created a couple of board games with my mom. Whoa. And it was called um, Al Rojo Vivo, which mm -hmm. was like a spicy game for adults. What? Oh, <laughs> okay. wow. Right? I don't know. I never cool. played it, but I guess it was good. Yeah. So what kind of business did he have? He had a they had a company about cleaning products so Ooh. they would sell to what it's here at fred meyer or stuff like that mm -hmm. so obviously there was a lot of chemicals and stuff so that's how the company went on fire oh wow yeah um so he passed with my mom i believe she was like seven months pregnant that's of my crazy sister to have like someone pass and lose his business and then now you have like children and you're pregnant with a child wow right and then like and what do you tell your like three-year-old child that's asking for your dad for yeah. her dad too you know which is something beautiful uh, I mean, I, I love to tell this because it, it changed my life. I was three years and a half when he passed. And I'm like, mom, where's my dad? Where's my dad? And she's like, um, well, he's not going to be here anymore, but you can look at a picture of him. Aww. And I'm like, okay, but um, I sometimes will need more than a picture. Like, what if I want to hack from him? And she's like, every time you want to hack from him, you can just hack me. And I'm like, okay, can you give me a hug oh, <laughs> right now? And then like we hugged. And ever since then, every time I felt like I needed a dad, she did her best. She was great at being a mom and a dad, truly. Really? But I'm like, mom, I need a dad hug. Oh, She's like, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's so <laughs> like, sweet. <I> <laughs> wow. So yeah. she was um, throughout, have you, has she ever talked about trying to fulfill both of those roles and 
um, she for helps. you guys. Yes. How, like, what were some of the, what was it like for her experience and stuff, and um, and she, for you too? Right. I think she did a, a great job. I mean, my sister and I didn't turn out that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she she wanted to always be flexible, but also like I don't know, meet our like little boyfriends, you know, when mm -hmm. we were young, and kind of like be protective. And one time when a when a past partner like hurt me really bad, uh -huh. she stepped up and she's like. She acted like oh, a whole wow. man. Like, she's like, I will fucking kill you. <laughs> to my daughter. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, as a lawyer, she also knows she, what words to nice. use. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He left me alone. That's, let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up in a, a single parent household, but I found it's, it's a little more, it's different for my son because or at least i think it is mm -hmm. because i grew up in a single parent household with my mom okay and she's you know she's a woman and i'm, and I'm a man and not having a male to role model myself after but having you know a female to be able to like to provide all you know all of that and i could learn about what a male is perhaps through myself mm -hmm. in my own connections right but sometimes i like i thought it'd be the same for my son and i realized that it's very it's a little different when you have like two males or two females and you know your male is raising a male or female is raising a female and to provide that other where like right like your maleness as you grow up right or your boyishness or girlishness can is going to come out as is a part of you right mm -hmm. um if that's like yeah um but if i'm a man and he's a man it's really hard to teach the femininity and stuff like that because it's not just naturally pouring out of me for the most part, you know, I have those things inside of me, but dominantly it's like, I'm, I'm a man, for sure. you know? And yes. like, so what I've tried to do is, is like, um, well, how's he going to learn how to like treat women and how's he going to know how to navigate those relationships and know what, like, even if I try to think that I'm providing both of those, how do I make sure that he's getting exposed to that? So I'm not chasing my own madness. Right. right? And not that anything's going to be perfect. It's just, I just think about that. Yeah. And um, so I try to um, have him have a lot of like adult uh, female role models in his life through jujitsu and stuff like yes. that. But I just look at like, you know, um, look at you and you're even just what you talk about with your family. And you guys seem like a great example of, that kind of situation, the situation I'm in, but mm -hmm. is on the parent side of things. Yes. I mean, she also put me pretty close with my grandpa. So like yeah. I will call him Papito, which mm. is like that pretty mm -hmm. much, you know. Aww. So he he definitely did also a dad role model, which talking about him in Indonesia, I was there when he actually passed. Oh wow. And it was so intense. It was crazy. I was meditating every day in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And then I get the call that he passed away. And I mean he's been my dad since I was pretty much three years old and how yeah. and um I was either I would have to uh fly over there, which is, was like about two day flight. And by that time the funeral was already done. Cause I they it's a little different from United States. Like oh. we do things pretty fast over there. Really? They die, they did the funeral the same day. That's it. The next day they're buried. Is it like funeral in the home and things like that? No, it's to... in a church oh, or okay. in whatever you you or in a funeral mm -hmm. home. Yeah. Oh wow. Yes. So um meditation helped me. I, I guess, uh, accept that I wasn't going to be there mm. for it. Mm -hmm. And even though I felt a lot of guilt afterwards, I remember him coming in a dream like a couple of years later, uh -huh. being like, and the dream was me planning his birthday. 
And oh, I was like so stressed about it because I wanted everything to be perfect. And I'm like, no, like Papito, I want the whole thing to be perfect and blah, blah, blah. Why is there not all the guests here already? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he's like, let it go. Oh. It's okay. I'm good. Like, I know you love me. I know you wanted the best. It's all good. I'm having a good time. And I'm like, okay. Aww. Okay. I hear you. <laughs> that must have taken so much weight off of you. Yeah, so much. So much weight off of wow. it, seriously. And it made me understand that it's okay sometimes to let go. And, like, they know that you love them. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was great, that trip, truly. A yeah. completely, like, life-changing trip. Because it also helped me accept that I wasn't there for him mm -hmm. in his last late days. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's a really hard thing to internalize. Yeah, for sure. But I definitely consider him as a as a father, father figure. figure. Yes. Yeah, I've had that. I live with my mom, right? And I have, like, a lot of mixed feelings about that as, like, just an adult, like, living with their parent. Yeah. Um, and I was preparing to transition and be like you know it's the goal of having my my place and stuff like that and i look at this the dynamic of like oh it's my son and i and like people just a community right like my home is a community when there's like just having that third person there and especially as like a you know a female figure or anything like that um is an influence that's really important to me and i start thinking about it instead of in these compartments into this the big picture mm -hmm. thing of it and it's like you know who do i want there because when it's just him and i um it, when we're doing independent things, the whole house can feel stale in that way. And like, mm. you know, your dogs, I imagine, liven things up when you and Stefan maybe are in the, in the house and doing independent things. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. Or they interrupt a lot. Like exactly. this podcast, but it's okay. <laughs> it adds to the good times. Yes, they are. <laughs> How did your, being a lawyer is like, is that's a big commitment, if, speaking about your mom, to be able to do like uh, the schooling or, or any of that to become a lawyer and then to have that as your career did she when did she become a lawyer and how did all that kind of unfold so it was my grandma it, so my grandma was sewing right and then my grandpa was um driving buses and then he started having one bus for himself then another bus and that way he got all the kids through school Except, so they are five siblings, but the last one, they got twins. They didn't know that uh, my grandma was pregnant of twins. So Ooh. only one came out, which is the doctor. And then she keeps having like, you know, pain and everything. So the doctor is like, oh, shit, there's another baby there. <laughs> and then they just grab her somewhere, which caused her some retardation. So she wasn't able to go to school. Yeah. We, it's totally good. She's great. We all love her. It's yeah. all happy. But um. I'm always like going somewhere else with the stories, right? That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so they, in Peru, when you're coming, I think not only in Peru, but in a lot of places, even here, you most of people think that like, okay, you have to have a career to be successful in life, mm -hmm. good career, good job. You get like a month vacation, three weeks. I don't know how much it's here. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. And then you pay taxes and you, you know, and that's the yeah. life you do. And then you buy your house and you buy your car and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's what they, for them, that's what success. Yeah. And wow. so they work hard to get everybody through school. Mm -hmm. And they think that the best careers is lawyer, doctor, or engineer. That's yeah. it. So that's what they did. Wow. Uh, my mom says that actually, um, I didn't know what I wanted to study when I was in, in high school. Uh -huh. And she's like, you're very creative. I feel like maybe something about advertising and marketing. And I'm like, you know what, mom, you're right. Which, and she's like, yeah, I just like, I felt like I could have done that. I couldn't because like I had to choose like a career that was, you know, lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, 
So I'm not saying that she was leaving it through me, but mm-hmm. she definitely wanted me to choose truly yeah. what, like what was best for me, which was I th- that. I think your whole, I think it's something that's interesting about family lines is, is like I would almost metaphorically look at a family line at times um, as like its own individual species as metaphorically because each evolving to its own variants. Mm-hmm. So like with your family, your mom might pursue that, right? And you see where your her parents came from. And she learns all the lessons from their lifetime and she internalizes that and strives for more of that career. Right. And that's more of like a, a, a career that's more financially productive, right. Maybe than the sewing and stuff like that. And it's like at a higher abstraction. Cause that's a lot to, un- to be a lawyer. Like for me to understand law, I have to do a lot of learning. Right. And sewing's really hard too, but I think I'd have to do a lot more to be able to just meet the bare minimum for being a lawyer. Definitely. And then though, for you as the daughter, being able to your mom learning and internalizing all these lessons, you can witness that and you can have an observation without having to experience it because your mom had, and your mom had all these experiences and she can um, give her lessons imparted to you and her regrets or her wants or anything. And you can do with that what you will. And you're almost like pushing the baton a little further down the line in your family. It's like move to a rural place and, or move from a rural place to like, you know, a bigger city and, um, be entrepreneurial and then like, um, go into these preset, you know, career positions. And then it's like, Oh wait, there's more than that. But it might've taken a whole lifetime to figure that out. And so now you have a daughter just naturally, by an extension of this. And that's why I think like sometimes there's a vicariously living through a child I think is like you have to, but then there's this other thing that's a natural element where it's like, this is the result of my experience in life I like so that. far. I like that. And you know, here's my advice to you. Here's what I really like. Yes. I hope maybe you might cherish that too. But yes, yes, 100%. And there's other people in family where still think that having a career is a path. But mm-hmm. my mom is like, so proud yeah. like she calls me crying she's like happy six months like Aww. it was so worth it it's all worth it and i'm like yeah i know mom <laughs> you know like crying with her um so yeah for her she was definitely very she always was very open-minded which mm-hmm. it was so so good for us because it helped me thrive mm-hmm. because i didn't feel the judgment of a parent that if i don't do what i what they want uh, they'll be disappointed mm-hmm. I never felt that way. She she was always very supportive, even though she's like, monkeys will eat you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but still go and, you know, be safe. Mm-hmm. And and so with the career, she she helped me find the career that I think it was a great career. And even though I had to work for corporations, which helped me realize that it's not what I wanted to do and mm-hmm. opening my business was the best way. But when you're doing that with the corporations, what is the moment or what were the things that made you realize that this isn't what you wanted? Like, was there like a few things or? It's how much they lie. Yeah, right. I was in marketing. Mm-hmm. I had to lie in the advertising that I was doing. Lies in finding ways to be more persuasive and get people to be interested or give them misinformation? Both. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that's what it yeah, is. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they uh, it's it's all about the money, which I get it. I obviously want to make money through my business, mm-hmm. too. But I'm not going to cut corners or give somebody uh, <laughs> a, a protein that is not good. Yeah. Just so I so just so I save some money, you know, and that's where you get to the point where things are not defined by what they are, but what they are not. And so I would look at like everybody or there's people out there who like to go really fast and and deal with the risk of a fast vehicle and trying to move that beast around and learn how to maneuver it and a way to do that is is to like go and street race 
we can go run through Portland and go find some sick streets where there's no cops. And like, yeah. then the consequence of that though could be, I'm going to get a ticket. I'm going to get into an accident. I'm going to hit a pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Um, or I can go and get into rally cross and amateur rally cross and work my way up to pro, right. you know, and there's, there's a, the initial feeling is, is one thing, but it's how it's applied is another thing. I think about that with marketing too, because, you know, I like do, I like designing things mm, and yeah, I've right. been in a situation where I would be marketing for a company and I took it because I needed a job. And my goal was to sell the product. It was just a product that I was completely detached from. Mm. But then I realized that if I flip it and I have something, maybe it's a company or if I have a product or service and I really like it and I use marketing and design to make it's that a way where I can do it more. It's genuine. And you realize that coming from this genuine place is um, in this authentic place is more natural and it's exciting. And I feel like I'm actually like, I'm not using it to manipulate you. I'm using it so that I can clearly tell you what I think and what I'm doing. Yeah. And because that might actually help you it might be a product or a company that might actually act, help you improve your life, you know, but I, I being in the, uh, sub marketer and advertising person, I've been in the pharmacy industry. I worked for them. I've been in TV actually really? I was for, um, working for a, the biggest TV channel for before. all for marketing in these different industries or different kinds of work. Different clients. Oh, yes. oh, so all marketing, but these were all your kinds of clients. Clients, correct. That's so I had a far, like a the biggest pharmaceutical chain of Peru, and I've had uh, work for a TV channel that they did kind of like a um, bunch of shows, obviously yeah. that were live, and I would have to stay there until two a.m. in the morning because oh they were gosh. like I don't know dancing with the stars from Peru and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Wow, uh, which is super fun because mm-hmm. I was into dancing. That one you were into. <laughs> that one was a genuine right, one. Yeah. Right, exactly. But you also see other parts of the industry that you mm-hmm. don't agree with. You know, some people might, but they were not, um, I guess, aligned with my values. Mm-hmm. So I had to choose not to be there. And truly, it was my last job that I was working for another corporation with like 15 companies around South America that I was like, that's it. I'm selling my car. I'm quitting. I'm going to go to Miami, sell party tickets on the streets. That's what I did. Really? <laughs> that's wow. how I- So that was pre, I want to go travel the world. That, that was, I want to, I know that was more, I wasn't, I wanted to travel. I always liked travel that, but that was more like, I don't want to keep working for corporations mm-hmm. and using my career for this. And I want to go, what else that ha- wow. has to so were you were you afraid nervous to do that thing or is it that like excitement where you're like oh i don't know what's gonna happen i was super excited (laughs) so excited that i didn't know what was gonna happen (laughs) i was like family i'm coming back in two weeks and i stay for two years before i came back to peru (laughs) whoa no way yeah wow and how does your um your love of dance incorporate with all this were you um were you practicing and getting into dance when you're in peru I was uh, working for a dance group, but it was definitely not corporate. Like I would skate my corporate side mm-hmm. to go dance. Wow. So dancing was like more of a, of a release for you then, right? 100%. Like, yeah, like we were talking before we we're, you know, recording, like it, dancing was definitely a relaxation scape for me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this sucks. I, I love my career, but I don't know what I'm, I don't like what I'm doing with it. So I'm going to go relieve release some motions and dance and focus on myself who taught you that as using having a a ritual like that you know in your life and and doing that just naturally evolve or yeah i think i was it was just me 
Did you guys have school sports and stuff like that growing up? Uh, yeah, we do. Schools? Yeah, yeah. And also like summer camps and like, you know, in the summertime you go do sports and stuff like that. Did you did you find out dancing around then? Or? Yes, I oh, did. Yeah, okay. in the summer uh, we had, my mom was um, the member of uh, like a clubhouse or like a summer clubhouse, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I would go there and play volleyball and swimming and dance. And that's how I discovered that. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. So then when I was more of an adult, I decided to go back to it because I'm like, this is how I'm going to escape mm -hmm. <laughs> this whole corporation thing, which might work for a lot of people. Like it worked for my family, it gives them what they want, mm -hmm. you know. But for me, I had to be more free. I couldn't stay there. See, and that's what I was trying to explain before we did the podcast that like my first thing is I looked at like my mom had a job in like, uh, you know, uh, real estate or loan processing for real estate. And she, you know, worked in mental health and did all these other things. And like and I worked in a, in a kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I've worked in long-term acute care within the hospital industry and then the warehouse and with minting. And it was just like, I met a lot of people who would be doing this for the similar thing that you talk about with your, um, you know, your, your mom, um, and your family. And they're there to be able to make a living so that they can take care of, you know, and provide. And that was the measure of success. Um, uh, that way, applying that framework to myself, I could logically see that. But that wasn't satisfactory to me in the sense that not just on like an opinion level, but like in inside of me, like I feel like something was wrong with me because every time I do those, I'd be disturbed because I would like, I just didn't want to be there. Yeah, maybe or you maybe didn't feel like you belong there. That's exactly. And like there was even like the when I was working in the restaurant industry, though, I they would haze me a lot, throw eggs at me in the on the break and I would throw peas at them. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, they're in their 30s and I was like 15. But yeah. <laughs> um, I felt like a huge sense of belonging there. Mm. But the the com I, the community felt strong where I would look forward to the people. But at the time, I love cooking, by the way, but at the time. The, the narrative and the relationship with the cooking and like wh whatever it was, it wasn't there. Like I would really look forward to seeing these people, but I wouldn't look forward to the tasks at hand. Mm -hmm. And I would really like it when it got busy and like you get that place where like everything's firing off and you're like moving real quick and everything's kind of subconscious. You're getting orders and out there. Adrenaline, the adrenaline, adrenaline. Yeah, like it feels good, but I just knew that it wasn't my like my passion. I wasn't inspired to do it. If I looked at doing that for the rest of my life or doing the, the manufacturing for the rest of my life, I didn't feel like I was alive Right. in my own little thing. And I applied that at first. It's like, oh, nine to five job. Like that, I see that as like a, a way to die inside. Like that was my thing when I was a kid because very extreme, probably a little angsty, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, oh, I want to find a different lifestyle. And then I put myself into like, um, here's sport. And it's like, okay, I can be a professional teacher in sports, like jujitsu. Mm -hmm. And then I like put myself in there. And I felt the thing that I just blanket statement generalized on like corporate work where I was like, I have to, I have to show up and meet these obligations, but doing so leaves me uninspired. Mm. And so, but I, but I like the difference here is I like the jujitsu and I would do that with no one paid me. I'd pay to do it, but I don't feel comfortable when someone's paying me to do it and I have to meet all these expectations. Mm -hmm. So then I toned it down and I made it not like you're cooking, but more like you're dancing. Mm -hmm. And I had to create a whole new framework of what success means. And I've had to, by talking to my mom and learning about my son, who my son is a little different than me, where he loves jujitsu more than rock climbing, but I'm pulled to like, just, just exploring and adventuring. Um, 
So when I apply these hard, fast rules, it doesn't seem to work. So like corporate America, blah, or like corporate nine to five, no, or lawyer, or like, you know, whatever it is, or teaching the sport. And it's like, I learning what's in here, because it's so unique and so personal, that it's I don't have any answers. And I really don't know. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, even as a dad looking to my son, I don't really know. I'm just kind of doing the best I can. And that's 100% valid. It's okay to not, not know. It's yeah. okay if you don't have it, figure it out. I think you that's know. the point. Like, the, it's the uh, go up to the things you don't know. Like, that's what I was saying with the risk. Oh, it's going to work. Or like, you know, learning to be a better and better chef and developing in that, right? Or um, in cooking. Um, it's going up to those unknowns and then sorting it all out. One thing you hear is like that I've heard before. Ah, oh, I can't rollerblade because I have no balance. And it's like, you know how that works? Support yourself on rollerblades because how do you get balance? And then rollerblade with support, remove the support and rollerblade without support. And there, now you have balance. 100%. Like, you can make it work, definitely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I agree 100%. It's true. I, to be honest, I've always went, had a lot of fear and a lot of emotions. And it was not until recently that I was able to speak with my closest friends about that. And mm -hmm. I'm like, do you also feel like super emotional or anxious when like something is happening or even when you're driving and like somebody must might like just crush on you that yeah. they're like, yeah, I do think that. And yeah, I do cry every day. Mm -hmm. And actually if you're depressed, that's okay too, but I'm not even depressed. I'm just emotional and that's okay. We have all these feelings because life is so much, you yeah. know, and I'm like, okay, I like it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm glad that I was able to be open and talk about how we feel because mm -hmm. sometimes we don't, to be honest, especially like even men, sometimes I feel like my cousins don't want to express too much about how they feel because mm -hmm. I'm super close to my family. And I'm like, it's okay if you want to tell me that you're scared because you don't want to, I don't know drive the motorcycle yeah <laughs> exactly right yeah. and like you find that um that, like climb yeah opening and opening up about those things because what i even found in like climbing and in jujitsu that there that that level of low level of anxiety is something that would come up in all these where i would like if i would invite someone to climb and they've you know been climbing for years and i'm not really good and i'm really scared and most like people who've been doing it for a while are pretty not scared in these situations oh i get so nervous or like but, but that's the thing i, I feel like care. we think that oh my god he is so secure about himself but we don't really know and and that's the case because that's what they say is like you learn in climbing mostly everyone's afraid of heights including like alex right. honnold right and you get to a point to where you become so conditioned that you know you look like you're all put together but you just got into the high level of problem solving in that area mm -hmm. and and then also you're i get afraid that people are going to judge me right like oh i can't do this and like you've been doing this for five years you can do things twice as hard or maybe they're the best chef in like portland you know and like oh if they see me cook and be terrible like they're not going to want to be around me or anything like that <laughs> and it's not i'm pretty I'm pretty convinced that it's not really the outside world. No matter how hard we try to make the outside world really comfortable, that pang will emerge in people on the inside. Because it's a, it's a, no matter what you say to comfort me, I still feel that. And it's only through going and like, you know, if we're client, let's say we're cooking and I was really afraid you're going to judge me on like my not able ability to cook. And then I get all afraid and you do everything to make the environment is like, very inviting as possible. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in situations where mm. people are like, hey, you know, it's okay with climbing. I still feel that way. Mm. But the only way to work that out is continuing to go 
and slowly but surely it gets shaved off. And, and being okay with being vulnerable too. Exactly. Yes, I love that too because it happened to me when I was working for the TV channel too. I'm like, every single person here is judging me because I'm not wearing Chanel or Gucci. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh my gosh. But I just want there to do my job. And then you realize maybe you don't belong to the art environment or maybe somebody might want to belong there and then they keep working hard to belong there yeah. you know what i mean but it's okay i mean people will judge all the time and then you mm -hmm. also have people that will support you all the time precisely yes i mean when i was in peru my entire life there was so many i was in lima lima is a very like bubbly type of thing because of my grand my mom was uh, able to have a good job we were able to be raised in a like um i would say middle upper class mm -hmm. which is uh, it's very small in Lima. And so everybody knows each other. Mm. And I was always doing just stuff that didn't make sense, mm -hmm. you know, or being myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it gave a lot of like talking and like people didn't really understand me. And I, the best thing, it was that I never cared. I swear, like that was the best. Mm. I didn't care. And that could have not been better mm -hmm. because it, it puts me where I am today. Yeah. I'm like, what are they going to think if I like quit my jobs and my car and I'm selling tickets on the streets to go to parties for mm -hmm. a commission? I don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go do it because mm -hmm. I need to I need more from life. Because we have so little, you know, here in this mm -hmm. earth. So I might as well just experience the whole thing. Yeah. Failure, wow. like you can't be afraid of failure. Mm -hmm. Like even if it happens, even if the food truck closes down, like I've seen that too. I've seen that in my head, even though I'm working not to. But if it happens, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I'll open something up and yeah. I'll keep opening something up until... Yeah, because it it's not necessarily um, trying to avoid those thoughts, but perhaps it's an opportunity to be able to steal yourself or like comfort yourself if that were to happen so you can pivot from there, right? Because it's that's reality. If that happened, well, you just got to make different choices and just keep moving along, you know? Yes, yes. Because you get that way if you're going to be like a musician or you're going to do any of these things where you're going to, people aren't telling you what to do and how to maneuver that you're like, oh, is it going to work? And the thing is, is like, if it doesn't, that it's really about how you respond to what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like if your business idea doesn't work or works, that doesn't matter. It matters how you interpret that and what you do as a result. Yes. Because if it doesn't work, then you've learned. If it does work, you know what I mean? You keep going. You keep yeah. learning too. You exactly. also learn. Yeah, truly to everybody. Like I've had businesses before that failed too, you know, or worked for a little bit and then stopped. Mm -hmm. I've always been an entrepreneur. And sometimes what, what happens to entrepreneurs that are young that I've seen is that like something doesn't work and they're like, Ooh, then maybe that's not for me. I'll go mm -hmm. back to my job, like yeah. nine, nine to five, but no, you just gotta keep going. You just gotta keep trying. It'll happen at some point. Once it's right for you, then it's going to stay, you know, and be more also working, not spending too fast helps mm -hmm. a lot. Sometimes I like the word ambition because I'm very ambitious too. Mm -hmm. But it also, I have to remind myself that I can't just grow that fast. I want to go and open five other food trucks. Yeah. I want to, but I know that I can't yet because I need to be more solid, more grounded, have a, a better um, solid base. Yeah. To start you know, from. so that helps a lot. Like sometimes with entrepreneurs, it's like more opportunities come up. I've had other opportunities from businesses. For, you know, um, with Tita's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I had to say no because I knew that, that that was not the right step because going too big, too fast cannot always be good. 
is it does it work to think of it like easy choices hard life hard choices easy life because i sometimes i think about that and like you know not trying to push it too fast right and like it's really hard to apply the specifics right to to a general audience but when you're in a situation and everyone's asking you to do things maybe it might be better to say no right and to let that tension build and then be able to selectively pick what you can and if there is nobody who has interest it's might be good to say yes to everything you know what i mean like yeah. working in the opposites yeah of like of whatever it is yeah, and i you... like that i i actually work more through my gut you do so how do you learn how to how have you built that relationship over time have you made a choice with your gut and it's like um and it's failed you or have you had periods of time in your life where you weren't listening to your intuition um uh, i'm gonna say um that my god has always proved to me that i have to listen to it because there's been times that my literally i can feel it i'm like it's telling me something and i'm like ah no it's just it's it's my thoughts not my god and then mm -hmm. i got with something else but it wasn't it wasn't my thoughts it was my it was my gut mm. so my gut's always me like no yes i'm right you just choose not to think that it was me you chose to think that it was your brain yeah maybe um so far i i don't think it has failed yeah i but so i don't know to into <laughs> like to ground it too because like some people who might not have a lot of experience with with that like reading intuition and things and like to bring the woo and ground it is I found out when I was running that you feel things like there's these things in your body. And if you like, if you don't think about it, like just growing up and you don't know much about anatomy, you wouldn't realize you had organs in your body. Like you wouldn't realize there's a lot of things going on in your body. There's a lot of things that are happening that you might not be, um, be feeling, or you might not realize you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And it gets so complicated that um, when you feel discomfort or dysphoria like a not good feeling in your body how do you know that that's hunger because i don't think that that's always mm -hmm. hunger and how do you know that like <laughs> hunger is hunger because what i found is is i would eat and it's not anxiety or it's not yeah. and I, it would be for comfort but i genuinely just thought oh this is a not like in my head a not good feeling and i need to be fed and then i would feed myself and I would go run because I could be I could be over full and sit and be chill and won't notice it. But I could run. And if I eat too much and there's a lot of food in my stomach, I get sick. So I've been in a running situation to where I'm running and I feel that discomfort in my body that I've always associated with. You need to be fed. I guess my first question mm -hmm. would be. What did you feed yourself? Oh, yeah. So I've tried, though, throughout all of it. I tried myself fruit. I've done protein. Okay. Um, generally, in running, I would feel uncomfortable, and I would just put different types of food. I varied the food, thinking that it was the food. And then I realized that I didn't really understand when I was hungry mm. and that I was overeating. And mm. I would feel like a general like discomfort, like a shaky kind of feeling. And I always thought that was what hunger was. But I realized I was just comforting myself most of the time. I mean, we can fast for hours and we, we will be fine. Yeah. And what I found <laughs> is when you fast for hours too, there's this discomfort. There's levels to the discomfort. And fasting teaches you a lot about the different nuances of discomfort in your body. Because I find even then, like the fasting, some of it I just get anxiety and I get worried or I get bored. Mm. And then when I break through that, I feel comfortable again. Mm. And then there's this like other kind of feeling that growling and gaping maw in my stomach which I actually don't feel very often because I'm generally never get to the hungry state. Mm. 
because mm. I'm always comforting my body. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about like people think about all oh, this feeling in my gut, this feeling in my heart, this feeling in my head, a lot of people would be like, what? That doesn't make sense. But there's as you think about it more, you develop more of a relationship, intimate relationship with your body. Yeah, I think new sensations emerge or you're able to interpret them more accurately. I agree. Do, with do both you have that experience with your gut? I, I, when, when my gut's talking to me, it's a different feeling than when I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just completely different. I yeah. can tell immediately. Wow. And, and it's, I still sometimes choose not to listen to it because mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, no. Yeah. But then I, I knew that it was not the right thing to do. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but for example, like literally maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was eating an egg and I was like, I've been trying to avoid what my body's been telling me as a whole mm -hmm. that I don't want to eat right now any uh, dairy or any meat. And it's totally okay because obviously I have a food truck where we yeah. <laughs> serve meat. But I was vegan for three years, about oh, wow. uh, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my body was, was telling me like, hey, maybe we can go through a vegan phase pretty quick. Yeah. And I'm like, at the the first couple of days, I'm like, Nah, mm -hmm. I want to <laughs> eat my chicharron sandwich because it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but then I had to, it was like still pushing it. It's been a long time. It's been through meditation mm -hmm. and through hunger, through fasting, through veganism that I learned more how to like listen to my body. And I'm like, okay, fine. We'll go through the a vegan phase, mm -hmm. you know, and then slowly going vegetarian and going back to eat meat. Wow. So that's what I've been doing because, and it felt good mm -hmm. because that's uh, like, I have to listen to what my body's telling me, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it can take years to, to realize what your gut's telling you, or if it's hunger mm -hmm. or if it's something else. You know what this <laughs> reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever been around a, a child who's six months and under. <laughs> Yeah. Like a crying baby. And you're like, oh, I don't know if they're hungry. I don't know if they want a bottle. Yes. I don't know if they want padded. And that's what we do with our bodies. Yes. Like, I never <laughs> thought of that until then. I'm like, ah. Oh. Because, you know, sometimes I've seen parents just, like, lose it, just trying to problem solve what this kiddo wants. And then they're like, oh, maybe it's colic. And then they're like, there's a whole other thing on that. And it's like, it's, it's so complicated for us. And I think it's really easy to brush over a lot of that. Yeah, you know? I agree. And it's okay, even if we don't know what it is. We can be a baby too. Yeah, it's fine. yeah. You can, and the baby's okay too because you learn that oh, they, if they do just continually cry, you might feel like anxiety and worry, but that's you. Like you, they can continue to cry. That's fine. You've tried everything. It's not working. Now you got to calm yourself because nothing's working for them, right? Yeah. Um, it, so the traveling alone, how did traveling shape your worldview? Because that's like – I often find with people, it's a pretty big, like pivotal moment in people's life when they've like committed to it and they go out and do it. Mm -hmm. But especially alone, because I find yeah. that that's like a very kind of what you're saying, intimidating thing to do, but very exciting and liberating. 100%. I went from not wanting to travel alone two hours in an airplane to flying for two days straight somewhere oh, wow. else. Not straight. I had to have stops, but still. Mm -hmm. Um I don't, it taught me a lot about like how people view money, truly. Mm -hmm. There's so much hustling in every single country and every single race even, you know, have their own ways of hustling and how like money can either save people or make people sick. Like mm. through Europe, for example, like money is so important. Everything is so expensive. You, you gotta like 
have money to survive in 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 Southeast Asia, I would I'm like sometimes very distracted. And I'm like, ah, life is beautiful, and just leave my stuff all the time behind. Uh -huh. So I've lost a couple of passports and. I've left my backpack with money and passport and all my documents before in like random little tiny restaurants in a small town somewhere in Southeast Asia. Oh my gosh. And when I've come back, they've been, they saved it, you know? And I, I remember oh. this one time, there was this little uh, island in, in Indonesia. And then I'm like, oh, I left my backpack, my backpack. And he had like, um, what for them was like a thousand, uh, dollars what for them would be you know wow. it was a lot of money and it was inside my backpack with all my stuff mm -hmm. and then i come back after like 30 minutes and somebody there is like oh yeah like they they brought it to like a house somewhere here and blah 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 and for a second i'm like ah they stole it you mm -hmm. know and then the other another person i like kept going and then asking and they're like oh yeah I'd show them and they're like oh yes here until one person is like Everybody was trying to help and I was hesitant. I'm like, are they like, just like, you know, fooling me around? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no, they took me all the way to this little tiny home and they, they barely had a place to, to sleep and they had my backpack there. They didn't even open it. Like everything looked the same inside. And I was so impressed how wow. they, they care so little about that. They mostly are Buddhism and in that little island mm -hmm. and i'm like they are so detached from money and yeah. from material stuff that it was beautiful that's to watch beautiful yes wow. it was they make temples for their gods that are bigger than their houses whoa <laughs> that's wild yeah do you do you find um do you find ambition in that culture or did you meet people who were ambitious in their own way in that kind of area I think most of them in the little islands are okay with their lives. Yeah. You know, see, that's the duality that I find very interesting because when you're down and out as a culture, right. Or maybe in your town or maybe your family that, and when, if that ambition were to emerge, that's the thing to take, not saying where that's at. I'm thinking about Haiti um, or the Dominican Republic that takes your houses from being built on cinder blocks to where like an earthquake can come and like, which did demolish all the cinder blocks and like they have no houses and a lot of people got, you know, killed and stuff. Um, but that's cause when you do do the cinder blocks in that area, like it's all good. Mm -hmm. Like why you don't have to do anything. Yeah. Else. And they're having a great love. I mean, you have coconut and you can fish and you know, you're great. And then in the other side, I grew up like, no, you got to hustle. We're in a yeah. city full of people that came from rural places to make it, mm -hmm. you know, so I got both worlds. <laughs> so I see you traveling though, and you like kind of disavow that Ooh, with the dog, and um, <laughs> you know, and you fully immerse yourself, and you even find there's a culture that is a representation of that too, right? And like, like I perceive you maybe when you're traveling, you're more on like you swung in the other way, right? In the sense that you're like, I want to let go and I want to experience life. You know, you're not striving, you're just absorbing and yes and then i can bring that to the table whenever whatever i choose to do with my life now though instead of now you're like you've like swung into like this middle way from like a an outside perspective to where it's like business striving ambition yes dance relaxation painting and like painting right <laughs> yeah and how does what you've learned from traveling influenced 
you going back into this role of a business person or a working mm -hmm. person? Well, I grew up in a material world and mm -hmm. thinking that we have to make money to be successful. So I wanted to experience the other side of it. Mm -hmm. So traveling uh, through Europe or Southeast Asia or even South America when I traveled there or Central America, um, taught me the other side of it so then when i'm back to where i where i call home which is here i i see both worlds and then i make my choices right my choice is to have a business and to have financial independence because that's what i want and that's what um as like through financial independence i can help other people which is something that i always like to do mm -hmm. like um fighting for fairness was something that my mom taught me as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So like for me, like being fair is so important. So like I help the Latin community. I sometimes go to interviews of like um, when a Latin has married an American mm -hmm. to, you know, do the translation for them wow. and not charge anything for it because I'm just there to help yeah. them out yeah. and to help them through the process to how to like get papers in America, how to buy a house, how to buy a car, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's really cool. So I feel like if I have Maui, Maui somewhere where I would love to go and I haven't mm -hmm. been there yet oh, with Maui. So, bad. <laughs> um, so I feel like a lot of people can see money as like the devil and what that's probably what that's how people see mm -hmm. it in in South e Southeast Asia for the people like the people that I've talked to. They're like, oh, no, money brings problems and blah, blah, blah. But that's because you don't have education. Mm -hmm. That's because you don't know what to do with it, you know. But if you know how to work money, then it can be good, too. Mm -hmm. You know, not every like rich person is is mean or yeah. is a shitty person. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? yeah, exactly. So that is my goal. I want to have financial freedom and I want to keep helping people that that came like me to this country, not knowing what to do. I made so many mistakes. I got so scammed so many times, like trying to even buy a car. Seriously. Really? So just being there for all these people. Yeah. It's great. So and, and also because I like a comfortable life. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own ways. You know, some people can be like, oh, I'm just happy, like in a cabin by the beach cool that yeah. sounds great too you know but seeing both were i wanted to travel because i wanted to see the other side of the coin mm -hmm. and yeah. because i knew that i was living in this little bubble in lima and i had to break through it mm -hmm. because i i call myself and to be honest for like all the things that you've told me i would also call you like a an indigo child mm -hmm. you know yeah we're just different and we want to experience everything so that we can at the end figure it out who we are mm -hmm. and I'm still figuring it out, but seeing all the, every single, both side of the coins and different uh, continents, different cultures help me, um, I guess, mold who I'm becoming. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you don't fall victim to something called like the, the some cost fallacy where you're like, I invested so much into this. I can't go and do this other thing. Go, go try something else. Right? No, that's that like that open that's, mind. that's attachment that you don't want to have. Like you, I try my best not to be attached to something. I don't want to be so attached to Tita's kitchen. Mm -hmm. I am attached. Like I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, super yeah. attached to her, to Tita's kitchen. I'm super attached to Maui. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, okay, I have to imagine Maui dying every day, but I'm still super attached. I like yeah. so respect like Buddhism and like the yogis that are like mm -hmm. really love everybody equally yeah. and are detached from everything. I'm like. Damn, my respect. Yeah, I can only aspire. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but at wow. least uh, it's just going through that, you know, mm -hmm. like trying 
is what counts. And that's the thing is, is like, that's it is like, is trying. There's no weird. I found that through meditation is you get this thing in meditation. um, An obstacle sometimes is doing it to expect some profound change. And then you can meditate with the, through the filter of waiting and you can never be open to what it actually is because you can't be like present because you're expecting. And it was really hard for me to understand that. But after several forms of meditation, I understood it that like, you know, you think you do the PCT or you think you go and travel or you think you become like a lawyer or a painter and you feel like it will fundamentally change who you are and make life entirely different. But it doesn't because mm-hmm. you're the same. Mm-hmm. However, it shapes you, it, it molds you, it evolves. And like how I think about it is with climbing, like sometimes I can be an, an anxious person with, with a bit of self-doubt. Mm. So what I found, though, is, is I'm like climbing. Maybe if I climb, I'll, I'll be confident, you know, because I um, gain confidence there. What I realize is, is that I improve and grow and mold and learn about my anxiety and about like the self-doubt. And it's not that it vanishes and I become someone who is alleviated of those. I learn how to build a relationship with it. Yeah, and it's I not, like it. And that's what I found out in meditation is, is it's not that I'm going to have an empty mind. It's that I'm going to have build a relationship with getting distracted so that I can come back to my original intent with greater and greater ease. Uh, yes, and, and I love it. That's how I feel like, you know, you're going through with all this. Tita's Kitchen, yeah. you tell me about being a chef, going out and traveling. None of these things because you, you the expertise or anything. You go out into the fray and figure this shit out. <laughs> 100%. And traveling, like back to your question, it taught me how... It taught me a lot about money. It's crazy, but like mm-hmm. it really did because I got to see both worlds in Europe, in Southeast Asia, Central America. And I'm like, people look at money in so many different ways. Like it's money can be God or in all this power and money can be like the devil. And I'm like, what if it's like none? What if it's something in between? Mm. Like, so what, like, I just want to open a business, like share my culture and make Money is something in between. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be the devil. And I actually do think it's power. And then you get to choose whatever you want to do with that power. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then I think the minute that you that you don't label something is because I find that like you can see good and bad in the world. I think things are fractal, right? Which you understand what fractal is? Yes. Like so with the I think things like are, little pieces. Yeah, and like so like a you know, a triangle composed of many little triangles and mm-hmm. many little triangles composed of many more little triangles. And um that's how I feel like when you do this, like this good bad. Like um this group is is bad. Um this thing is bad, this thing is good, this thing is, you know, but we go back to like that's the ideology. And the ideology or the framework you apply to the world is always behind reality. It can never be in the moment with reality because it's not dynamic because someone has to interpret it and then create the framework. Mm. So there's always a lag point. So what you what's more accurate is is trying to put yourself in this place so you can develop a in the moment fluid set of principles that work specifically for you. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. And like that's I think that's just so cool because I, I really think you and Stefan are a great example of that. And the way that you guys interact with money, because Mm -hmm. I see you guys as like as entrepreneurs, but then more than that is like that imbalance with things. And I think that's part of life. 
even yeah. if you're not strictly an entrepreneur, in every way you're going to have to manage money and invest your money and invest your time. For sure, yeah. And um, I don't know if you read our Rich Dad Poor Dad. This book. Oh no. Okay, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, um, and there's one thing that I agree that it says. I like how he think how his uh, Rich Dad would tell him like, money works for me i don't work for money mm -hmm. so it's it's nice because when when you are working for money then you can become obsessed mm -hmm. right i'm like i need a raise and i need this and that but like let money work for you through assets through a business or stuff like that can be a little bit more healthy yeah and you're still um developing wealth mm -hmm. if that's what you want you know but yeah with steph it's pretty cool he also does chakra not only shout out to chakra coffee yeah chakra coffee <laughs> so delicious not not for money but because of what he's trying to, he's trying to build for all of us for all these mm -hmm. indigos like i call yeah. myself you know like we have a place where we can go and be ourselves authentic and that's what the company is about yeah you I know like that. tita's kitchen is about family like i <laughs> I've, you have no you have no idea how many times I've cried by somebody coming and telling me like, oh, why did you call the grandpa's favorite to the salchipapa? Yeah. And then I tell the story and then I cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's literally that. It's the passion is what's behind, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't not tell the story so that they spend $8 in the salchipapa, mm -hmm. but because they know like how family it's improved yeah. and like how we, how we interact with family members you know like my grandpa and i'll tell you the story mm -hmm. yes please <laughs> the salchipapa is a it's it's a very humble dish it's just french fries and uh like fried hot dog with all of the cremas on top which is what we call all the sauces like you have ketchup mayonnaise mustard mild sauce hot sauce uh, uh, olive sauce and all of these sauces so I would stay on my at my grandpa's house every Saturday and my mom would drop me and my sister off and he would play casino with my aunt. We would be there. And then I'm like, Papito, I really want to touch you, Papa. And he's like, ah, it's really late right now. Let me see if Don Julio has it, which is like the guy next door that he had a little stand of just purely salchi papas uh, in his like um, front, uh, in his like front yard, pretty That's much. That's crazy. You know? Wow. And most of the time he was close because he was late already. So he would walk for 30 minutes to get to the next place, to get salchipapa, to bring it back to me. Oh. So it was like, uh, even though maybe it was too spoilish, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was like, damn, Sweet. like, yes. And, and it's like those things that like, you truly do all, everything you can for family. You yeah. know, you gotta be there for them. So just telling them about that and like imagining my grandpa, like looking at it, at us through where whatever he's at and yeah. physically emotionally i don't know where he's at but um it is is beautiful and that's why i opened tita's kitchen mm -hmm. so that i can talk more about peru and somehow that that takes me back there you know because i i'm not able to travel there like five times a year mm -hmm. you know i haven't even been able to go because of covid yeah so like just talking about it is so um therapeutic yeah wow so that's the word and it's and it's based off of everyone has to eat yeah like and that's the beautiful <laughs> part you know yeah wow. exactly I, I love that so yeah. much yeah 
And where could people find out more about Tita's Kitchen and you, Fabiola? Uh, well, we are at Porla Mercado, and now that we're six people, we're open every day. Yeah. <laughs> we started with five days a week, then we came to six days a week, and now we're open seven days a week from uh, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. on the weekdays and until 9 p.m. on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Actually, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday until 9 p.m. And or in our website, tiraskitchenpdx.com, they can also order food through there or call in the phone. I don't know the phone by heart, but it's in the website too. Yeah, and I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> there you go. So, and yeah. Is there anywhere people could check out? Do you have any of your art listed or anything? Or even you know, stuff? I had an art show not too long ago. And the oh. reason why it was because I was too attached to my paintings. <laughs> and I'm like, I need to be more of a Buddhist. Yeah. So, I will have an art show and I'll put my paintings for sale even though it hurts me. And that was the only art show I had. Um, I mean, so cool. there's some, some of these paintings are on my Instagram, on my personal Instagram. And I'll be sure to, I'll, if you don't mind, if I, can I put some of the photos on the website? So if they look in the show notes, they can For see sure. some of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I'm cool. working on getting detached from them. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> sure. Perfect. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, uh, each of <laughs> yeah. them, it's from a different country or a different what? story. So if you have, I mean, hopefully you can put the pictures. Yeah. So that guy over here, Inca, the painting is called Inca Warrior. Whoa. And it's about um, the Incas before Spanish people came conquer us Whoa. back in the days. Uh, so in the face, I tried to put like the suffering and also the, the happiness. Well, yeah, that's interesting because you did do the combination there. You could see it. <laughs> like that. Well, but I find it interesting because it's like... Uh, Going into the fray again, like, how do you even know what, like, anguish and suffering and also, like, you know, happiness? Because that, that really happens in reality. How do you even know what that looks like? And the way to do that is, is, like, is drawing. Because otherwise, you're just looking at pictures and, like, wondering what that looks like. But if yeah. you're trying to draw it, I feel like that's the closest way to study the interpretation of, like, of that kind of stuff, you know? Yes, and, I agree. Because I got into drawing when I, when I draw, like, if I were to try to draw a facial expression... I do the thing that I was talking about with no balance on the skates. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mm. I don't know how to draw somebody who looks happy. Like, and then I like, I look, and then like what you're talking about with the business, because it fails. I'm like, does this look happy? No, it doesn't look happy. And it, it wouldn't help my friend to patronize me and say that it does, because then I'm going to make art and they're going to be like, oh, why is all your art sad? And I'm like, wait, I, I thought that was happy. <laughs> if I have that mindset and like we're talking about before the podcast with your sister, right? And the compassion and then also like be having this like, you know, um, uh, encouragement, right? Yes. And uh, shout out to my sister. I freaking love you, Fabiana. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like it, it's that because that's how you figure out how to do the expression. Yeah. And your art to me is an extension of that because like I love it because from the outside looking in, I could put you on like a pedestal as an artist. But then getting to know you and learning about just life in general, I could say, wow, you've been doing art a while. You really <laughs> like art. As opposed to like, oh, that person's really good. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I can see that as like when I taste your food and I'm like, oh, that's really good. I'm like, oh, all that practice and passion. You know, I can connect with another human in that way. It's beautiful, isn't it? But yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Shout out to arts. Please. Yes, shout out to arts. <laughs> <laughs> for connecting so many, for actually making real connections. Yeah, so that that symbolizes um, how much we thought for our land. And 
what's behind it's it's called the 12 rock which is a famous rock in Cusco uh-huh. so and when when I go there I always touch and I can feel a lot of energy through it so it's beautiful then I got the Buddha over there from Southeast Asia from when I was meditating a lot that wow. definitely helped me do that painting down there is um that tiger and wow. all those colors is called in Peru uh cultura chicha, which is the mix of all the Peruvian cultures. Whoa, really? Like the, yes. is it the kind of colors in particular? Yeah, the kind of colors, that type of uh yes, it's pretty much wow. the colors and the tigers and uh all those those flowers and those leaves and those plants it, it makes uh if you search it online That's if you go to cool. even if you go to google and you type cultura chicha like mm-hmm. chicha culture it'll show a painting or stuff like that it'll show stuff like that because in peru believe it or not there's still a lot of racism between cultures so that is a culture that helps everybody bring together and not being racist yeah wow each other. wait how does that play out is it like I, so this, I'm going to try to be like very kind in this way and like the way that I said or not sound rude and ignorant, but like here in America, I'm only familiar with like there's Native American and then there's like Anglo-Saxons, like, you know, uh, white people, right? European. Yeah. And then you here, like in Mexico, if you're like, if you're Mexican, that's like a combination somewhat of like Native American and Spaniards. But here we don't really have that clarification. So me in my youth, I always thought people who were Mexican were like, 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 like just being like white, like as in, as like a colonial. Right. Mm. And then I didn't realize that like, I have like, you know, 10% native American. Right. But you don't call me the combination of like native American and a European. There's no word for that. Yeah. Right. And like, but then with the Mex in Mexico, like, you know, you're Hispanic. That's the word for that. Yeah. And that's, we have no association. And so when I was working with some children who would, uh, came from like immigrated from Mexico and they're like as little, you know, babies and stuff. And I found out like, there's like mestizo culture yeah. and I, that mestizo is like a native American tribe or native. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really understand still. And I'm very curious because it's very much like here, but different. Mm-hmm. And what I knew were like, you know, uh, Hispanics, um, was a combination of Spaniards and Native Americans. And is it like that in Peru? We're like- yeah, there is. And it's it's pretty wild because until today, when sometimes you call yourself, like a serrano means somebody that is from the Sierra of Peru, the mountains and oh. where, where my grandpa is from, for example. But if you call somebody a serrano, it's an insult, which is crazy, right? Whoa. Because it's not an insult. It's somewhere where you're from. So there's still all of that, which is why I love this cultura chicha because it brings every culture together. That's so cool. yeah, back to your question. Uh, there's a lot of people that we still don't know 100% where we're coming from. Yeah. Or like if you are, uh, if I am considered light skinny in Peru, mm-hmm. which uh, believe it or not, does give you privilege. Like, oh, really? Unlike other people that has more darker skin. Wow. Or have more native uh, facials. Uh-huh. You know, like, wow. yeah. Um, it also exists over there. That's interesting. Yes. Then you go more 
to the south of Peru and there's uh, people with a lot darker skin, which is called Chinchanos, which is like completely darker skin, you know. And then you go to the jungle and then there's a whole culture in Oxapampa of people that came from Germany. So it's super like Whoa, white. Oh no way. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, is it like like stark like here as opposed to like Mexico where it's like um there's like uh I guess indigenous and then there's like Germans or is it like intermingling where it's like at the beginning the Germans didn't want to mix with the people from the jungle mm -hmm. but then like you know they with the years they had they it's, weren't. And that's that thing that's an interesting thing I would wonder from the outside looking in it doesn't always happen and it's very rough um but like when these two cultures like there's like the division and then over time they end up melding in some way but not in complete as it sounds even like in your culture right not even in without bumps and bruises still and without suffering and without anguish mm -hmm. right and it's really hard because like I don't don't need to get into there necessarily, but like the like the my land and like people who came in and invaded my land kind of thing. Then you get to the point to where like where do we have at what point do we have a like us and them scenario, right? Even if it's like um yeah, an us and them scenario or like just people. Like we're all people. We have to figure out how to be able to integrate together in a society yeah. in an equal sense that we all have a, a seat at the table mm -hmm. in that way. Cause Every other way you do it, it feels more like division. And I feel like you, at least here, you kind of pull the plug to where like, if you were to give anything back, that would almost create more of a division and more of a sense of other. Just like if you were to just stake everything is like yours, as opposed to it's ours. And how do we work together and deal with that? Yeah. I mean, the whole world should be, you know, yeah. ours, but yes. And you go to a country and then you go to a city and then it's different. So like. This is crazy, but I remember, like, we were growing up, we grew up this way, and, like, I'm glad that it has been changing a little bit, but when we, when I was a kid, like, I grew up, and not saying that my mom did this on, did this on purpose, or my grandma did this on purpose, because they didn't know, but they are like, you need to marry, like, a, a white man, or, like, somebody with light skin, so we can improve our race, mm -hmm. because for some reason, like, having darker skin didn't look as good as having light skin, Yeah, and... So, yeah, there's still a lot of people that are that way, especially Lima bubble to everything else. So you have that in, uh, I think it's, this is pretty big difference, but like, uh, like inner city, like China or Japan, but where if you have like, if they have a whole thing where if you're like white, you could um, go in there and say like, and speak on behalf of doctors and stuff without having any kind of background. They hire like white assistants, white butlers, because there's like some, right. but it had nothing to do with the, there's no one settling there, which that I found very interesting. And like, and I don't, I've been fascinated about that culture. I'd love to talk with someone. Cause like, how do you get there? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I imagine through traveling, you find this, like the Western culture and the idolization of the Western culture. And that may be how they got there mm -hmm. without people colonizing that because yeah. i think that's weird because like regardless like if you put anyone on a pedestal like i could even do that with we talked about with that with art even if i were like fabiola is the greatest person in the world she makes art <laughs> and like you know she's the best person in our society and we need to do everything to set our time aside to help her and it's like that's kind of weird you know it's kind of weird if like i'm white i'm tall i'm short you know what i mean it's like what it's you get a deck. Let's work together. I mean, 100%. Just for, by the fact that I'm a very young entrepreneur and everybody there is like um, in where I am or in general have are 
people that is a lot much older than me that have mm -hmm. these type of businesses. I still feel like I'm like, wait, you aren't you in your twenties? Like, what the hell do you know about life to mm -hmm. run a business? You know, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know shit, but I'm learning. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it's that openness to learn that I really like admire about you, both Thanks. you and Steph and Fabio. Thank so, you so much. Yeah, absolutely. But so going back to the paintings, yeah, that one over here, this lady with three eyes. I that was like so kind of cool. drawing myself kind of ish, wow. maybe in another world. Mm -hmm. And that lyrics like, oh, yes, I see you. I see you right through you is from a song that Steph did years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if he told you, but he has a album. Oh, yeah. See, I think <laughs> I found the album because I was so I, when I was researching more about him, I was like, wait, what? This yeah. is cool. <laughs> So I'm That's like, uh-huh, awesome. because we always talk about it. I'm like, you, somehow, like, he's always reading my thoughts, and I'm always reading his thoughts, and I'm like, something's going on. He's like, yeah. Oh, wow, so I'm like, that's cool. I'm a little, like a little witch, but in a good way. So <laughs> <laughs> I do have a third eye. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and then that one up there. Um, so I'm going to tell this story pretty fast, because mm -hmm. I don't know how much time we have yeah, left. Yeah, I think we're right about done there. Okay. So that was not for sale because, but I did put it in the art show just because I wanted to be vulnerable enough to show and explain why that painting was. Is if you you can go closer, but it's that one up there in the middle with all the mushrooms and stuff. That one is so beautiful. I, I was pretty young and there really? was I was like seventeen. I wanted to like impress this person that I wanted. Uh, to date and i was like oh that person is a deer so i have to be cool and i gotta do a bunch of drugs right because yeah. i never did drugs before then <laughs> and i had like three pills of who knows what and <laughs> i was just tripping Woo. hard so that came out of it wow <laughs> that, is, that is so cool <laughs> and then i didn't do drugs for like I think 10 years after that because I was traumatized. Yeah, but. <laughs> she's like, I take a break. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I had to go through, I, I gotta, I had to understand that trauma and go through the whole thing so I like, I can trust again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Wow. But, and that's, that, that's that smart thing of like, sometimes, you know, you get those experiences to learn like gradually taking things on. But I get you with that because with drugs, I'd realized when I was introducing somebody else to, to like psychedelics and stuff, um, no, it was edibles. That my way of going about it's a little crazy because for me, I grew up doing drugs in an uneducated environment, I guess, where mm -hmm. like I didn't have anyone to ask, like, how do you do the use and how do you get into it? I used to take like, like the, like, you know, like a few hundred milligrams of edibles or like before things were all dosed out when I was younger, I would just eat a lot of cookies and I'd be like, well, you can't overdose. So I'm going to just figure out what happens here <laughs> or something like that. And like mushrooms and stuff like that. It was like, I realized that that's kind of my temperament. And that's where I could really relate with you in that I meet some people and I noticed that they are, might be more cautious mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm not risk averse, but I really like like going into the deep end, knowing that I'm not going to like, it's not mortally going to wound me. Right? right. And that I can figure it out on the other end. And that's like when I was like, you're going to be a parent and I'm 16. It's like, well, 
That's really the worst that could happen. Right. You right. know, that's that fun place. It is. I mean, I did end up in the hospital, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I, I overdosed, too. So, I, I yeah, I got alcohol poisoning and overdosed yeah. when I was 12. And that was on, yeah, a lot of other things. So, it yes, was like... Yes, 100%. Actually, because of that, that painting meant a lot because I also started developing panic attacks, which I didn't know that that was a thing Whoa. back in the day. So, um, I'm, hel- I'm glad that nowadays I'm able to talk about it completely normal, just also to help other people that yeah. know that that's normal. Because I didn't know that was normal back when I was like um, 19 or something. And mm-hmm. like in Peru, I'm like, am I just crazy right now? Like yeah. why nobody talks about like mental health? Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't a thing. So uh, I'm I'm happy that I'm able to talk about it now. And that definitely is a painting yeah, that, that represents painting really the represents struggle, that. the tripping, the fun, so all cool. of it. <laughs> yeah, And I think that's something that maybe is one of the pitfalls of the way that um you and i would relate on experiencing things is like it might not be easy for us to like not do something because of fear what could happen but to get into something really intense way over your head that you can't really turn away from you know what i mean that's the thing I've have you about. ever had like this i'm like you're like i'm gonna cl- uh, like climb that rock not knowing how to or where it's gonna take me yeah exactly <laughs> and only when i was a kid that like especially before i had my son was I was in a perilous or like a handful of perilous situations. And literally, I think from the time I was 16 or I don't know, sometime before my son was born onward, I haven't knowingly gotten myself into there. And that I say this for some people because there's a, a, a person out there or a type of person where you're like, who is very bold. And I don't think I'm that. Mm. And that person's like doing things, breaking things or like, they're really toeing their the edge or getting yeah. mortally wounded or just crazy wildness like Steve-O. But like, oh, so Steve-O, like a jackass, he's like a um, okay. comedian. He'll set <laughs> I've him, heard about jackass. He'll okay. set, Steve-O will set himself on fire and like just do like really crazy things. He'll like headbutt walls, break things on his head. He gets to places for a different reason than you and I do, I think. Gotcha. And that's that little nuance there. Because um, I'm not like... Bold. When things go wrong, I'm deeply impacted by that. And I give a long distance from it. Like, because the climbing, that's where I learned it, is what you said. I actually did that. And then I get somewhere where I'm scared and I am ran out and I could fall 30 feet. And that's different. People in there of like the Steve O mindset or whatever, they're like, yeah, I, I just commit to all this and it's okay. I got it. If I fall, I might die or I might break something. For me, it's like I can go there, but if I go too far and I am actually risk mortally wounded or like the that vulnerable, I get traumatized and then it's hard for me to re-engage with it until much, much later on. Yes. It's like definitely yeah. what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're okay and safe. Thank though. you. Yeah. I'm so glad. All right. Um, thank you very much, Fabiola. Thank I appreciate you, this. Yeah. Ooh, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you want to check out more about um Tita's Kitchen, you can go to Tita's Kitchen PDX.com. And I'll also leave the um, link to their Instagram and the website uh, in the show notes and on becominghumanpodcast.com. Every time I go to Portland, I always stop by Tita's Kitchen, and it's the first time I've ever had Peruvian food, and it is delicious. I really value the opportunity to, to talk with Fabiola because I could really relate with her in the way that I like to be a professional 
and the ways that I like to express myself, you know. Um, we're all such a unique blend of a variety of, of things, you know, from how competitive you are, your compassion, your desire for I adventure, um, to travel, or even to stay in one place with consistency. And life is like, is a vast opportunity to be able to explore those things. And you find that by asking yourself where you're uncomfortable and putting yourself there. And Fabiola has a, a rich track history of doing that. And being around people like that encourages me to, to continue pushing for my best self. There's a lot of ways to point your attention, but some ways are just, they, they give back to you and the people around you. I think about this a lot with uh, fitness First of all, with just my love for, for pleasure and, and joy and, you know, sometimes I like to do drugs or um, have sex or eat food, you know, to, to feel pleasure or watch things. Um, <clears throat> but if that's my main, main way of doing that, it's interesting because not entirely, but the more that I do it, the more demanding it becomes. And I really like those things and I value them. They have play, a place in my life. And that's a personal boundary that I've set. But I've noticed that there's things that are pleasurable in a similar way, but an entirely different experience. And the more that you do them, the more that you have, and the more that people around you have. I'd get into trail running, um, to pursue some some sense of pleasure and in that I have to pay all the costs through blood sweat tears and consistency um, and the more consistent I am the more potent the joy where if with like drugs and TV the more consistent I am the more desensitized and tolerant I am to the experience and the less I actually see the joy and more complacent I become. But a little bit, and I don't lose my complacency doing these comfortable things. But there's no hard and fast rules. This, anything that you find is wrong for you, you might find somebody doing it really well and excelling at that. You know? And talking with Fabiola has just really enriched my perspective. I haven't had the opportunity to travel, and I'm just starting to grasp um, running my own business. But she's been doing it for, she's been running her own business for a little bit and traveling for a while. So if you're ever in Portland, um, be sure to check out Tita's Kitchen at the Portland Mercado. Not sure if I'm saying that right, but I really try. <laughs> um, the harder I think about it, the more awkward I feel. So I just feel like, just be calm. Uh, and also check out Chakra Coffee, which is an amazing coffee stand. It's just more than that, too. And they even have um, supplements and now um, like a coffee extract. So just a few drops, you can get caffeinated. I love what Stefan's doing. Um 
you know, not even just by making coffee, but uh, his personality and what he's putting forward in the community. He's an active person who's, you know, trying to um, push people out of their comfort zones and get them excited and open and, and energized and just being silly. And so is Fabiola. I mean, these people are actively doing this, you know, in their in their lives. And they've made it a part of their work, too. They found a way to combine these things that, that have really mattered to them and swirl it together into a profession and hobbies, too. It's just awesome. But if you want to check out her paintings and a little bit of a description on them, you can find that at becominghumanpodcast.com. I'm going to play you out with a freestyle by Christoph Crane. It's one of my favorites. There's no, um, he, he basically asks for audience prompts, the three subjects, and they give it to him and he flows with the freestyle right on the spot. This guy, his music is really formative to me in my youth, but just the things that he like talks about and, and the, the concepts that he dives into and all on the fly, it's just, it's so cool and it, and it feels great, you know? It's not pretentious or uh, or anything. It's, it's just, it's fun. So I'm going to play you out with that. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week and enjoy so your spring. What I was because Minneapolis is super, super into freestyle more than a lot of other places. If I could just get like three things to focus on for the freestyle. I just, I just need people that are really secure with themselves to be speaking right now. Descartes? Oh, shit. I need Joe Horton on stage for that theme. Mind, body, okay. Weed? Okay, marijuana, of course. Last night, someone's like, pussy! I was like, yeah, man, I always rap about pussy by myself in my car. What's that? Adhesive? Okay, marijuana adhesive and Descartes. Is Descartes the dude that came up with like the mind-body separation? Okay, I, I'm not that good with philosophy. Um, all right, well. Here we go. Now I wanna, uh, I wanna thank you beforehand for, for uh, being here tonight. Thank you guys. Part of my mind, part of my body, part of my spine We all stick together in the weather like adhesive I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in the puzzle and the pieces I believe in the pressure, the releases I believe in all of the pieces of the pie that we like to eat But believe this, if we don't get into the mind Then how can we not understand what's defined Unless we look at our body as part of the mind And realign that realign I'm only here to climb up a vine I'm only here to understand that time is just an illusion Part of something there Like the pollutants floating in the air And if I can't stick together like that I'll be on the back of the backboard like plaque Like the plaque that's building in my teeth I can't see it, so I need relief And that's the only way that I can get it 
I can go and I can try to believe in a religion Or I can sit in a sauna I can go home and smoke marijuana Dead, dead to the bone And that's one way that you can cope with stress But I hope you know that I'm a broken mess And any time that I try to escape from it I feel like my brain is so numb And the self-destruction's the only way that We can understand that we're all in a trap And when I say all, I really mean me Because you're the leaves of the tree I see And I'm the seed of the tree that was And I'm the meaning that we were numb And I was before and so were you And that's the reason that the sky is always blue On a gray day, I can look at the freight train I can see all the train tracks If I look at the past and the way that my brain reacts I can fix that and I can behave, Jack Believe that, and you can try to flip a queen I'm a flipping king, you know what I mean we're all so worthy, but we forget about it I mean, I try to talk about it, but I usually slip and move my mouth Instead of sitting in silence, looking at a flower And try not to define it, and realize that I can always smell the violet And I can go home and listen to the violin In the window, I try to jump out of I see my impulse, and I know that I'm about love I'm about hate, but I admit it So I'm no longer the prison man behind the prison I'm just the bar, looking at the stars Trying to understand where the fuck that we are We call it Earth, but ever since birth All I knew was the joy and the hurt Like a boy that was drunk through the dirt I don't know what you know, but I'm happy to be here And everything is pseudo, but it's so real When we all connect and realize that all we have to do is bob our neck and reconnect with someone that's on stage Trying to express something ever since they were a young age It's just developed now, so I'm happy to be here Cause no one's laughing at me, be clear or be cloudy It doesn't really matter, I'm not here to judge I'm putting it on the platter They cart marijuana and all adhesive Let's put it all together and we can be released It's the only answer that I know And if we let the cancer we can grow And this it's the best fucking show that I've played in about six months, so let's blow. And let's believe in snow. Let's believe in the sunlight, watch it grow. Everybody have a real good night. I hope nobody gets in a fight, alright? Never been held in anyone's arms when you've never been moved. It's really hard to move on. 